as a young entrepreneur, there were times that I felt very lost. There were times that I was trying so hard to succeed that I did things and I didn't know if they were right. I didn't know if they were wrong. I didn't know if they were simply indifferent, but I did them out of instinct. Well, that business became successful and my life went on an upward trajectory and I was later validated by the fact that that business succeeded and I became wealthy. Well, I was also validated when I discovered that certain moves that I made and things that I did were actually taught in business academia and had cool names and acronyms. So today I teach you about MVP because you may be doing it anyways, but now you'll at least know what it is. And if you're not doing it, you'll know why you should be. Stay tuned to Man of the Free because we're going to learn about MVP. What's up team? Big Luke here, man of the free. You're in the studio with me where I love to be. Freedom of mind, money, and media where the big man brings you value for free to help you become free in your life and livelihood. And today is no exception, guys. We took a little detour last episode, went into the land of AI, chat, GPT, and the tech world, and it was enjoyable. I had a lot of fun with that episode. Learned a few things doing the research to bring that information to you. And uh, also, I hope you guys found some value in it as well. But we know what Big Luke likes to do. Big Luke likes to talk money, okay? That's what we're going to do today. We're getting right back to the small business series where we're teaching you guys how to become your own boss, all right? So this next installment is going to be what I, or is going to be about, rather, what I call the minimum viable product, okay? And I say it when I call it. It's, it's a widely used term that was actually once taught to me, um, but it is a, a term that I now use frequently. What minimum viable product is, is exactly that. It is the minimum viable or usable or acceptable version of a product. Now, the way this is generally looked at or conceived is if you're an inventor or a uh, manufacturer or an entrepreneur, and let's say that you you want to create a kid's playset, right? And you want it to have a slide, a fort, a sandbox, two swings, and monkey bars, okay? You put together a model of this structure, you make it out of the least expensive equipment that you can, you get it, and here's the key, you get it to the marketplace as quickly as you possibly can, okay? Meaning you get it to the eyeballs of the consumer and you give them the opportunity to spend money on it as quickly as you possibly can. So uh, there's a lot of influencers out there, there's a lot of gurus, um, and they will tell you that you need to master your product, master your craft, before you step into uh, the marketplace, or before you step onto the stage, you want to make sure that you've got an absolute masterpiece that you're bringing to the masses because you want your best version of yourself coming out in the spotlight. Now, if you're going on America's Got Talent, bite right in. That's absolutely correct. If you're a Miss America pageant model, if you're anybody who's going to be viewed by the public eye in yourself or with your personal talent, stand-up, comedy, singing, juggling, goddamn bowling pins, I don't know. If it's all eyes on you, then yes, you want to be at your most masterful uh, presence. You want to be looking the best you can, performing the best you can. But that's not what this is, guys. This is business. And sometimes business is ugly. So bringing the minimum viable product to the marketplace would be something like you mock up that swing set, okay, you got a few metal brackets, you got a couple chains, you gel coat the bottoms of the chain so kids don't get cut, you make sure you round the edges of the wood, sand things down so there's no dangerous sharp edges, and you get it out there. You get it out there. You ask Home Depot to showcase it, you ask Lowe's to showcase it, you bring it to trade shows, farmers markets, whatever, sell it out of your front yard, you get it out there, okay? What are the benefits of introducing minimum viable product, okay? Number one, you can be first to the marketplace with an idea, okay? So let's say you've got an app. You're, you're creating an app, a, a mobile app for your phone, your tablet, or your computer, okay? And you've got this idea, and, it, and it's a trend that you're working off of. Let's say maybe uh, 
TikTok is very popular and you've got an idea for an app that is comparable to TikTok or augments TikTok, meaning supplements it or adds on to it in some way. And you just, you know, someone out there's possibly got this same idea. So you want to get that idea out to the marketplace as quickly as possible. Now, is it going to benefit you? Is it going to behoove you to polish this product and make sure you've got the colors dialed in and do market studies to make sure the verbiage is just right and check your demographics to make sure you're marketing to the right users. While you're doing all that, next thing you know, little Joey, straight out of SU grad school, goes and throws a really crappy version of what you're trying to bring to the marketplace in perfection. Well, he brings it first. And it's a real shit version. It's not very polished, but it gets the job done. But more importantly, it brings the idea forward as his, and he's now the creative head or the founder of that product. And you've missed the boat. You had this revolutionary idea, you wanted to bring it to the marketplace, and now uh, the young snot-nosed SU grad has brought it out in front of you. Nothing wrong with being an SU grad, though, right, Ruben? Not at all. <laughs> Orange men, let's go. So the point is this. Number one benefit, first and foremost, about minimum viable product is getting it to the marketplace the quickest, okay? What's another benefit of minimum viable product, okay? And I want you guys to understand this is not just for product-based businesses. This is for service-based businesses as well, and I will explain here shortly, but stay with me on this. So another benefit of minimum viable product is the fact that you can bring to the marketplace a less costly version of what you think the final product is going to be. So for instance, Let's say you have an idea for a product, okay? Let's say you have a, a bedroom fan that is 10 times more quiet than any other bedroom fan. It also infuses, man, I'm going to give him a free idea here, Ruben. We may want to trademark this before I go have a diarrhea of the mouth on. What do you think? Um, it, it infuses in, uh, what do they call those? Essential oils. The aromas of essential oils are that pink Himalayan salt bullshit or whatever that is. If it works, sorry for calling it bullshit. But it uh, also cools the air and puts a light mist in it. So you're getting this pre-humidified, cool, comforting, quiet, nice smelling, refreshing air. And you're like, yeah, that's it, man. That's going to revolutionize bedroom fan industry. So you buy some cheap, you know, over the seas manufactured bulk lot of oscillating fans. You, um, you then attach a little spritzer onto it. Um, you uh, duct tape a fucking humidifier onto it. You're getting the drift here. I'm being kind of a wise ass. But you, you put together this real crude version of what you're looking to do. Then you bring it to an engineer and you say, listen, injection molded plastic, paper clips to hold it together, little itty bitty screws like the ones they use to hold the battery door closed on the dollar store RC cars. I don't care. Make this thing as cheap as you possibly can, okay? And make it ugly if you want to. And then you get it out there to all the dollar stores, all the variety stores, and all the farmer's markets. And then you let the marketplace tell you if it's worth making the major investment of getting a nice clear coat paint job on it, maybe making it out of metal, a little more sturdy, maybe packaging it up and boxing it nicer, maybe spending the money to try to pitch it to something like Shopify or Amazon or one of the big box companies like Walmart. And then you spend the money once you know, okay, the marketplace has responded. My uh, vending table at the farmer's market couldn't keep these in stock on a Sunday. Um, we gave them to the local gas station that's family owned. They couldn't keep them in stock. People can't get enough of these things. You've brought your minimum viable product to the marketplace. The marketplace has responded and showed you that your product is desirable. Get to it. So you've already got the idea out there. People know it's yours. Now you refine it. Now you make it better, okay? They do this with books, okay? There will be an author that has a story they want to tell. And it's like, for instance, the Harry Potter series, okay? There's a tale of this young wizard and they want, uh, you know, Rowling wants him to go through all of these uh, adventures and trials and tribulations and tales. But a 10 book series takes years to develop. So why not bring out the Sorcerer's Stone, let people read it? Let them fall in love with Harry Potter and Hermione. I'm particularly a Hermione Granger fan. I'm kind of a ginger guy. What do you think, Ruben? You like Hermione? Absolutely. Why not? I like Hermione all the way back to the Potter Puppet Pals YouTube days, man. That's going way back. You know Potter Puppet Pals? I've heard. You know? You know, you know what? We should educate them, Ruben. Should we show them Potter Puppet Pals? I think we should. Let's do it in three, two, one. <laughs>
Is that mysterious ticking noise? Not over here, not over there. Hmm. Kind of catchy. Snipe, snipe, Severus snipe, 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 Severus snipe, Dumbledore, snipe, Severus snipe, Dumbledore, snipe. Severus Snipe. Dumbledore. Snipe. Severus Snipe. Dumbledore. Severus Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, all day long at Hogwarts! I found the source of the ticking! It's a pipe bomb! Yay! <laughs> Voldemort, Voldemort, ooh, Voldy, 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 Voldemort! Say that 10 times fast. Potter Puppet Pals. So that's like, <laughs> that's an example of minimum viable product. That's one of the first videos to ever come out on YouTube. I mean, I got to be close, right? Yeah. That's one of the first viral, if you will, videos to ever come out on YouTube. It's crude. The resolution is poor quality. It's some guy with hand puppets and voiceovers. But that thing got how many views? You could probably see. You could post it up. Actually, it yep. got, uh, I don't know how many because we don't we do this live. But right about here somewhere, Ruben's going to show how many views that video uh, has year to date. So, Minimum viable product, okay? You get it to the marketplace ahead of everybody else. You get it to the marketplace cheaply. And kind of like the big thing, okay? Not necessarily the most important, but what I think kind of the overarching theme is, you get an idea of does this thing work or not, right? Is this something that I should be spending my time on? Is this something I should be spending my money on? Do people, do people excuse me, actually give a shit about this? Like, are people actually going to buy my ergonomically designed back-saving yard rake? Or are they going to look at it and think it's a funky-shaped piece of metal that looks like it came out of Jeepers Creepers, and there it's going to sit on the shelf? Or are people actually going to buy my uh, USB-powered desk-mounted hot plate to keep your cup of coffee warm? Or are kids just going to melt crayons on it, and it's going to be a pain in most uh, adults' asses? So you get that MVP or that minimum viable product to the marketplace. It tells you, number one, whether or not you got there first. Number two, if the marketplace responds to your idea. And Number three, should I even be doing this? Should I even be messing with this, okay? So, I like to tell you guys how these things relate to me as far as an experiential or a, a, a place of me having experience on the topic. Meaning this, you're watching this big, muscle-bound, attractive, tall, educated, handsome, Muscle-bound. Did I say muscle-bound? You did. Muscle-bound. Uh, attractive. Yeah, you said that. Good-looking. I don't know about that one. Good-looking man. Bring you this information. But why But why do I listen to him? You postulate. He's so fun to look at, and I admire his prowess and his ability to speak so clearly. But, Lord, is he bringing me good information? Okay? The answer is Yes. Okay? Not because I say so, even though I promise you that's a great reason to believe it. It's because I have experience. Okay, Man of the free, one of the kind of root promises or mission statements of this show is that Big Luke, I love speaking in third person, 
is it <laughs> is that I'm never going to bring you anything unless I have experience on, unless I've done it myself. Okay. Now, something like AI or Chat GPT, I don't program. I did not create that software. But what I did was I brought you the information that was a product of my research. Okay. I didn't just go watch CNN or Fox or MSNBC or just watch one fucking YouTube video and then come to you and act like an expert. Number one, I never acted like an expert. I made it very clear that I was not an expert on that technology. What I did was I collected information from a variety of sources that oppose each other's viewpoints. And I came up with what I felt was a neutral viewpoint and a good logic and common sense based description of what was going on, what it was and what its uh, ramifications were. And I brought it to you. Okay. So that's what I mean when I say it all comes from experience. I do the legwork. Now, something like this, business. Oh, I love it. I sink my teeth right into it. Why? Because it's where I am. It's where I live. It's the place that I belong. It's the place I lay my head. I am a small business owner. I love business. I am a businessman. I am an entrepreneur. I will always be. And it's the things I love to speak on. More importantly, it's what I know. So, Minimum viable product is something that I experienced when I started CNY Drives, which is a car dealership. It was my very first store. It is now the CNY Drives Group. It is now a three growing to its fourth and working on fifth location. So we are an auto group. When we were a auto dealership, one single solitary store, it went something like this. And if you watch my story, you can get in all the nitty gritty details and fill in all the blanks, so to speak. But it was a situation where an investor came to me, uh, offered to invest in trade for a partnership of equity, meaning that this person would fork up the cash to support and found my idea and my business. In turn, this person would receive a portion of the profits, okay? Now, moving forward, I started my business in a very small, kind of a corner, very, I don't want to say beat up, but it certainly wasn't a brand new building, okay? Um, it was in a great high traffic area, but the aesthetic of the dealership itself, well, it wasn't meant to be a car dealership. It was an old muffler shop and truck accessories store. It had been used and repurposed many times over the years, and it certainly was not what I would call the ideal property for a car dealership. However, because of the uh, arrangement that I had entered into, it afforded me the ability to operate out of a nice property that had a high traffic visibility for less than $1,000 a month. Okay. Now, for those of you who are in business, okay, now it's 2023 right now. I don't know when you're watching this video. Uh, but as I sit here and make this video, that property now rents for close to $3,000 a month, okay? Now, why was it so bloody cheap? Well, because the guy that owned the property was also my investing partner, so it behooved him to have a low overhead cost for the business as well. Eventually, as the years went by, the rent was raised, and we ended up somewhere around 1500 to two grand for it. But the fact of the matter is, and the point I'm pushing forward is that it was an minuscule expense, okay? It was a tiny, tiny expense. Now, I could have spent more money. I could have got more garage bays. I could have had room for more cars. I could have certainly had something that was nicer to look at and made me feel better and boosted my ego, but that was not what I was concerned with, okay? And I have found later on in life that moves I've made and decisions that I have made actually have acronyms, like minimum viable product, <laughs> for instance. However, back then it was just a entrepreneur who was scared shitless because he was opening a car dealership for the first time. So where do these two draw parallel? There are many parallels that I can draw between the two, okay? In that, the reason I operated that way was because I was scared, okay? And anybody that starts a business who has never done so, who is entering into the wild blue yonder, quitting their job and trying to make income to support their family all on their own, jumping the shark, so to speak, and just entering into the marketplace on just their merit and their merit alone, that person is scared shitless, okay? Now, it doesn't need to be a shaking in your boots kind of scared. For me, it was kind of a natural high, excited kind of scared. The same high, the same excitement that I get when I lock in, which I can't anymore because those things, they don't fit anymore in the roller coasters. They just don't go over my shoulders. No. It's one of the downsides to being a big son of a bitch, okay? But it, it would have been in the past when I could fit. Same feeling of getting onto a loop-de-loop -loop roller coaster or one of those sky coasters 
or uh, where you jump off the platform and swing out over the water, some sort of extreme sport. It was an endorphin rush. It was adrenaline, okay? Um, but regarding the minimum viable product, it was my instinct to say, okay, let's keep the overhead minimal. Let's keep the costs as small as possible. And let's keep the upside as high as possible in relation. So meaning the cost benefit analysis, the costs need to be as minuscule as possible to the most positive benefit. Now, you will meet business gurus, okay? Some of which I follow and I am entertained by and I get information from myself. And they will tell you, fuck the bottom line. Don't worry about your expenses. Spend, 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 stay broke, worry about the top line. Because as long as you're producing revenue, as long as you're selling, as long as the money's coming through the door, you gonna be good no matter what, okay? Now, I can align with that thinking to an extent. I can align with that thinking now because I am a successful businessman. I have multiple streams of revenue. I have multiple locations, I have multiple employees. So if one of them has a not so savory quarter, I can rely on the other one or two or three to back that up. I also know because of the fact that I've been in business for seven years now, six, seven years now at these locations that the faucet is on. The marketplace knows me. I've broken obscurity. They know who I am. When it comes time to buy a used car in central New York for less than 30 grand, people's minds go to CNY drives and maybe one or two other competitors. So I am now in a safe, confident place to be more top line conscious, to say, okay, how do we go from selling 100 cars a month to 150 to two to five? How do we break those barriers and how do we get even bigger and sink our teeth into more of the marketplace? I can do that confidently because I know at the end of the month, the cash register is gonna ring and I'm gonna have pay to bring home and pay my bills with. Now, if you're just starting, you've never put a dollar in the register before, you are a true startup in every sense of the word. Should you stay broke? Should you be only worried about your top line? Should you say, fuck worrying about the expenses, let's just worry about the money coming through the door? Well, the answer is no, okay? Because unless by some insane stroke of luck, you break profitability your first month in business, okay? Which is essentially impossible if you're in a product business, okay? Service business may be slightly different. But if you're doing like what I was doing and you're selling cars, well, you're not gonna spend 50 grand on inventory, sell all those cars, make 50 grand and still have 50 grand worth of cars on the lot. It's not logical, the math doesn't work out. So to my guru friends in business that you may be following or listening to, okay? If you've got a business that's established, if you're kicking ass and taking names, yeah, stay broke. Spend all the cash, okay? Now, for those of you who are new to business, when I say stay broke, spend all the cash, am I literally saying be broke? Have, have a vagrant pocket, have not a dollar to your name? No, what I mean is when you have a business, you have a business bank account. The money in that bank account is yours to use for payroll, disbursements, meaning to pay yourself, working capital, investments on your property and your products, whatever, okay? What staying broke in business means is essentially if you have money sitting in the bank, get rid of it. Spend it on advertising. Get a new employee. Get a couple more pieces of inventory. Get a better toilet and vanity for your bathroom, whatever, wherever your business could use improvement. Instead of taking that money and looking at it in the bank and going, oh, my precious. Oh, how I love to look at you. Oh, what a sense of security you provide me. Oh, I love to watch you grow. I'm not sure what I'm stroking here. Maybe a cat, I don't know. Uh, maybe like a hairless cat, like maybe. Dr. Evil. Um, I digress. Staying broke in business means taking your working capital out of the bank and putting it to work for you, okay? For instance, I'm a car dealer, okay? There was a time where I wasn't comfortable unless I had a half a million dollars cash sitting in the bank account, okay? Now, some of you might go, well, that's a little ridiculous. Some of you might think, well, that doesn't seem like a lot. Whatever your mindset is, the bottom line is, it's a little bit 
conservative to have that much cash in the bank when you're at the level that I'm at. Um, maybe if you have $20 million worth of inventory, that's not enough, okay? But where my company sits at having about $2 million worth of cars on the parking lot, to have 25% of that value in cash, okay? And then another million bucks in owned inventory, it's just, it's a little too much laying around. You don't need all that, okay? So why is that? And some of you might be saying, well, why? You know, what's the downside of having extra money in the bank? It would seem that there would be none, right? Wrong, okay? We sell cars, which means if I have 10 cars on the lot, your average turn over if you're strong if you do a good job should be 50 percent okay and again that's all relative i'm speaking on my company alone right now which means if i have 10 cars on a lot we'll sell five 50 we'll sell 25 100 we'll sell 50 200 we sell 100 etc so if i got five hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank and my inventory consists of 1.5 million dollars worth of cars that means that five hundred thousand dollars could become $2 million worth of cars on the parking lot, which means if that then goes from 150 to 200 cars on the parking lot, we now go from selling 75 a month to 100, which at X amount of dollars per sale times 25 sales is a lot more money. Now is it clicking? Okay. Some of you might have understood that going into it. Others are now going, okay, that makes sense. Okay. So back to MVP, having cash in the bank, at the very beginning is a good thing. It provides you a sense of security. It also gives you a cushion if you have unexpected expenses, okay? But as it pertains to when I opened my company, we had a minimal rent, right? Minimal nothing burger rent, okay? When it came to utilities, okay, I used a voiceover IP phone system. I wanna say it was 50 bucks a month for two lines. One phone line, one fax, that's it. I didn't employ anybody. Let me repeat that and open your ears. I didn't employ anybody, okay? You're saying to yourself, well, that seems a little ridiculous. And it may to you. However, if you're familiar with the state of New York and you know what payroll taxes are like, and you know what worker compensation uh, tax and insurance is like, if you know what FICA, Medicare, garage liability insurance, the list goes on. The cost to employ human bodies to do work at your place of business is exorbitant, okay? So for me, I had to break a certain threshold of consistent revenue before I saw fit to bring in another employee. Now, there's pluses and minuses to this, okay? Ruben, what's the famous phrase? Um. Don't say it's thirsty. It's live and I'm thirsty. See, I charged Ruben. Hang on. A couple episodes. You're not good on the spot, are you, Ruby? Dude? No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, I, I, I think, la oh no, I almost uh, added last episode a, uh, a little catch throwies and, oh. and a little gulp. Really? But then I held off on it. Oh, guys, can we give him, can this be the beta? Can Ruben? Yep, they're, they're saying yes. Okay. They're saying go ahead and throw it in. We'll see how it plays. If you guys have been following Man of the Free, you know that uh, I'm a big, sweaty bodybuilder, and I like to take a lot of drinks of water during the course of my episode. Also, I don't notice if uh, if our 6K cameras are good enough to catch the little white chunks of spit that fly off my mouth. When I get excited and I talk like this, and it poof, it's like fucking snowflakes. That's why I take these drinks, and my catchphrase is, it's live and I'm thirsty. And a couple episodes ago, <laughs> I charged Ruben with saying that while I was drinking, and he said, it's live and it's thirsty, implying that I was some sort of man beast. But anyways, back to the... <laughs> Back to the, what Snoop Dogg say? Back to the lecture at hand? Yep. Um, matter of fact, let's give him a little Snoop. One, two, three, and to the four. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on the Before I have to pull the strap off the cut. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Lone Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Cause ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low, out G, so we crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfadeable, so please don't try to fade this. But uh, back to the lecture at hand. If you can't get down to nothing but a G thing, then you got no reason to be watching this show. I'm kidding, but I love Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Anyways, so I'm this small-time entrepreneur with this little car dealership that I got going, and I was absolutely petrified of failing, so I did everything myself, guys. I went to the auction. I bought the car. I brought the car back. I cleaned and detailed the car. I then listed the automobile for sale, took the pictures myself, put it online via computer. Then I sat and I fielded the incoming phone calls, the incoming internet leads, a customer walking through the door. I would then talk to, sell, sell, then finance, do the financing myself. Mind you, at a large store, at a car dealership, a big box store, you've 
you've got a business development center that takes the incoming lead. You've got a wholesale buyer on the road that buys the car. You've got a recon department that has two or three people cleaning the vehicles and reconditioning them. Then you have the uh, appointment setting business development uh, strategist or employee who then gets the customer through the door. Then enter the salesman. Salesman shows the product, sells the product, closes the deal, then ships it to the finance manager. He gets it financed. He adds the after sale. He sells the warranty of the rust proofing. Then it goes back to the salesman to be built out, sold, and delivered. And then the service department, somewhere in the mix of that, gets it mechanically ready, changes the oil, balances and rotates the tires, and sends it out the door. Your boy Big Luke was doing all of it, okay? Now, why did I do that? I'll explain to you my mindset at the time. And I'm telling you right now, as a point of fact, if you follow this same step-by-step -step process and you just apply it to what it is that you're doing, I guarantee success, okay? How can I do that? Let me explain. If you are selling a product or a service and you have one expense for utilities, meaning your cell phone, your um, you know, internet, whatever the case may be. You know what that cost is. Then you have your vehicle. If, if, if you're a delivery service or you're um, you know, uh, doing sheetrock and drywall repair, you need your truck, whatever, you have that expense. You have these expenses that are fixed costs, okay? And then you have no real variable expenses, okay? Other than maybe the products like uh, sheetrocking mud or grass seed or sugar for the drinks you're building or making or whatever the case may be. If you don't have to worry about fluctuations in payroll expense, okay, it's very simple for you to determine what the dollar amount of revenue that you need to come through the door in order to, to be profitable at the level that you are looking to be, okay? For instance, I'll break it down for you, full disclosure, okay? In the beginning stages when we sold a car at CNY Drives, we would net a profit of about $2,000 per car, okay? Now, I'm sharing this with you guys, not because it's polite to share the inner workings of my car dealership, but number one, that's not where we're at now. We operate a little bit differently, okay? But this is relevant to when I first started. That's what we're teaching you to do. We're teaching you how to start a business. And I'm willing to share it with you because it's just that important to me, okay? Business owners don't expose themselves like this. They don't tell you what their profit margins are and what their best practices and methods were. But you know, guys, how dare I claim to coach you or teach you unless I'm willing to give you all of it, unless I'm willing to turn my hand completely over. If I'm trying to teach you how to play poker and you can't see my cards and I can't explain to you how or why I'm strategizing the way I am, then it's not fair for me to teach you poker. You're going to teach somebody poker, you need to do it with your hand tipped forward so they can see the cards and they can understand how the game is played. So I will share this with you. When we owned a car, let's say it was a car that I paid $8,000 for. I might spend five, $600 on it through the shop. There might've been a couple hundred bucks in auction fees. There might've been a transport fee, except in the beginning, I was moving the cars myself. I was doing that too, Ruben. And I had drivers working with me that were friends, family members that were moving vehicles for free as favors to me because I was trying to keep my costs as minimal as possible, okay? So we get the vehicle to the, to the to the shop okay now let's say after the 85 we spent you know a few hundred bucks or excuse me spent eight spent some money on uh, reconditioning whatever the case may be whatever the number i get where's eight or 85 let's say we're now at nine with those expenses okay the car is going to get listed now for ten thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars okay essentially eleven thousand dollars and it will be listed for sale Somebody comes in, you sell them the automobile, you make 1,950 bucks, okay? Call it two grand. Now these numbers fluctuated, $100 this way or that. But by and large, there it is. By and large, it was $2,000 profit, okay? Now, I knew that if I sold 10 cars, that meant $20,000 came through the door, okay? And at that particular time in my company, between my rent, there goes the cap again, damn it, Ruben. Between, at that time in my company, between the rent, the NIMO, the, um, you know, chemicals to clean the vehicles, uh, it's when I say NIMO, for those of you that are nationwide, that's uh, Niagara Mohawk, which is now National Grid, it's our power service here in Central New York. Whatever other expenses I had, the, the listing for the cars online with car gurus, Carfax, what have you, Craigslist, that I was on expenses of about $6,000 a month. Now, that's minimal, guys. That's maybe one-tenth of what my expenses are now. But as the story goes, okay, this is how you build. This is how you grow. So between rent and everything, for those of you who are good at math, you've probably done the math, that after selling three automobiles, 
the nut was made. We were now broke even for the month. So the initial rush was to sell three automobiles and break even, and then it was off to the races. How much money can we make? Now, at that time, I had an investing partner. We split everything right down the middle. Now, there was a 5% shift to me, you know, as, as the guy that operated the company. I got 55 but for all intents and purposes and easy math, let's call it 50-50. So now we sell 20 cars, okay? The first three were profit, okay? So we sell 20 cars that, excuse me, we sell 10 cars. It's $20,000. We now have $20,000 that's come in the till. We put 6,000 out for expenses. That means each of us gets $7,000. Well, that's great. That's what I needed at that time to live a comfortable, uh, somewhat successful, if you will, lifestyle. It was 80 grand. That was the number I had in my head, 80 to $100,000, okay? There's only one problem with that. If you disperse yourself exactly what you spend, you never grow. You never scale. You can never pay off your inventory that you have leveraged on finance terms. You can never pay off credit card debt. You can never get bigger. You can never scale. You can never grow your enterprise, okay? So then the mindset had to be, okay, do we now try to lower the think or do we try to increase the top line? And that's what we did. So we said, okay, we make X amount of dollars. We break even at this number. Basically, the way I moved this company forward was every month we got a little better. I said, okay, now it's going to be four cars. It's going to take four cars to clear the nut, the nut being the overhead, okay? So the expenses became $8,000. We advertised a few more places. We had a few more resources. And then it took us selling uh, 22,000 or 11 cars to get there and so on and so forth until we got to the point where 20 cars was the number. If the store sold 20 cars, we were able to cover our nut and then make 120 grand a year. It was We raised to think a little bit because we were doing better. We saw that we could do this and we saw that it was gaining traction. Then there were other indicators, guys. There were other people in the marketplace, competitors, coming to me at the auction saying, hey, I see you're doing this. I see you're doing that. What type of banking or, or what type of bank do you use to get this deal approved? I see you bought that car last week. I couldn't buy that car because it needed a transmission. I don't have a good transmission mechanic. Who do you use for transmissions? By the way, you had Bertha Jones come buy a car from you a couple weeks ago. She's been trying to buy a car from my place for about a month now. We couldn't get her approved. How'd you get her approved? And eventually I started realizing that the same people that I used to watch and co-mingle with and try to lightly converse and dabble in conversation with were now coming to me. They were now asking me questions. They were now peering around the corners at me to see what I was buying at the auction. They were now looking at me through the front window of my store as they went by and then <laughs> smiling and waving once they got caught for looking because I saw them trying to look and see what we had for flyers and advertisements and cardboard cutouts and what warranty companies we were using. And I started to realize that what I was doing must be good because the eyes were turning to me. People were starting to wonder what I was doing. And then I would lightly share my numbers, my profit margins. Light, when I say lightly, meaning I would hint, okay? I wouldn't give the whole basket of fruit. I might drop a little Andy's candy or I might unwrap the plastic and let him have a banana. My vendors, my reps that would come in that went store to store, for instance, a bank that would talk to me, then go talk to the next guy and the next guy, and they love to gossip and talk, and everybody loves to be the bearer of the new information. It's how we work as a society. But I was paying attention, and I was letting little bits of information go out and circulate and seeing how they came back to me, who was sharing, who was nefarious, who had good intent, who could really keep a secret. And what I ended up learning is that what I was doing was much stronger than my competitors, okay? And I approached it differently, just like I told you. Instead of jumping in and saying, okay, all right. Now, here we're going we're gonna to take a sidestep here to one of the notes that I made and I want to talk about. And that's initial capital investment, okay? A lot of people get started in business and they go, okay, I got to get to a bank. I got to find a local bank or a local credit union that's going to front me a couple hundred thousand dollars because, man, I'm going to start this flower company, right? And I want to have the vans. They're going to say, Franco's Flowers. And they're going to be all sorts of cartoony flowers with thumbs going like this, pointing to a big picture of me on the side of the, on the, side of the van. Yeah, that's what I want, Franco's Flowers. And then I'm going to have the prettiest little girls delivering the flowers and they're gonna have uh, they're gonna have overalls on. Yeah, that's it, with a big FF for Frankie's flowers or Franco's flowers, and we're gonna have we got these visions of grandeur. There's no plan on how they're going to be profitable. There's no math done 
for how many baskets of flour, neat flowers need to be sold in order for them to be profitable. There's no plan. There's an idea. And an idea is a beautiful thing. And there are times where an idea will become fruitful and it will become a profitable business. But it's usually when other minds enter the space and start to contribute to the cause. So here's what I say to you, my audience. Stay with the minimum viable product. If you are in a product business, bring the least expensive, least liability-inducing version of the product that you can and thrust it into the marketplace. Show the marketplace what you have to offer. Let them tell you if it's any good or not. Guys, we watch the view counts on these episodes, okay? If it gets 695 views overnight, we know you guys like it. If it sits like the chat GPT episode and takes a week or so to get 80 views, we know we ain't talking to you about AI and chat GPT no more, okay? But you got to try. Little litmus tests, okay? Little cultures and Petri dishes to see what grows. This is what business is, okay? And as promised, we're continuing to deliver on this small business series because based on your reaction, this is what you guys want to hear. And it just so happens to be what Big Luke really likes talking about. It's ways to make money. So now let's say you're in a service business. Guys, don't go out and buy the big expensive van. Don't go out and buy the most expensive fiberglass ladder set and make sure you get the matching step stool. Don't go to Home Depot and open up the fucking Home Depot account, pro elite status, with a $20,000 credit limit, and then buy the whole row of fucking Makita power tools. You don't need them. I started a handyman business by pawning a TV and taking the $280 to the pawn shop and buying used tools. Facts. Watch the episode. Done did it, y'all. Minimum viable product. What is the least expensive way that you can enter the marketplace? Now, what is the overarching theme here, guys? What are you here to do? Be pretty? Have a fleet of trucks and vans? Have the shiniest storefront in your locale? Piss off your competitor? What is your real motivation? And we talked about this in the first episode. Why are you doing this? You should be doing it to make money. And if that's why you're here, then your quickest, most concise, straight to the point, priority number one goal should be making a buck, turning a profit, okay? The way you do that is with minimum viable product. You figure out exactly the cheapest motherfucking way to get your product or your service rolling. I talked to you guys about my handyman service. It was a beat up red Chevy pickup truck, $280 worth of pawn shop tools and 40 bucks at Kinko's for flyers. And then I went door to door and I sold my service, okay? Unfortunately, that's the truth that some of you need to come to grips with, okay? It's only going to become if it is you pushing it, okay? Now, you can hire a salesperson. Sure you can. And they'll sell your product or your service, and you'll probably do okay. But if you want to be the best, if you want to be the one that everybody looks up to and that nobody can touch, you got to be the guy or the girl that can do every fucking job in that business. Let me explain to you, folks. If my detailer comes to me and says, Big Luke, I got some tree sap on the hood of this Buick and I can't get it off, dog. We're going to have to take pictures of this car with tree sap. And I say, no, Chris, get your ass back up and hurrah. Get you some alcohol sanitizer and clean it up. Man, that's not going to work. Okay, Chris, come hither. You want to put a hundred bucks on it? On what? It's going to work. And I'm going to get the, man, you ain't getting the sanitizer off that car. I tell you what, Chris. If I get the sanitizer off the car, you work Saturday. If I don't, I'll drop and give you 100 push-ups right now. Deal? <laughs> Deal. And then I show that employee 
that by taking hand sanitizer, which is infused with alcohol, you can put it on the tree sap, let it sit there for about 30 seconds, rub it in with your fingertip, and the acidity from the alcohol, not the acidity, but the, uh, the um, caustic effect of the alcohol breaks up the tree sap. And the fact that your finger is organic and you rub it in there, your natural oils, try it, guys. It's not bullshit. The sap comes off the hood, okay? And Chris owes me a Saturday, right? So then I turn to Chris and I say, Chris, here's the deal, man. You ain't going to give me a good Saturday if you're pissing and bitching and moaning that it's all because you lost a bet. So here's what we'll do instead. The next time I tell you to do a job that it's going to work, you just listen and you fucking do it. Deal? Yeah, boss, you got to do it. Yeah, but because you lead by example, okay? The same way if your mom smoked cigarettes and yelled at you for smoking, it was some bullshit because you said, Mom, you got a pack of Marbreads right on the center console of your truck. Your whole fucking house smells like an ashtray, and you hack up the black lung every time we walk outside. But I can't smoke a camel wide when I'm having a beer every once in a while. Fuck that. No. You got to lead by example, okay? You should need to know how to do every job within your company. And I mean every single one, okay? You look at a guy like Elon Musk, he will sleep on a desk with engineers coding in the middle of the night because he can do any job in the factory, okay? You go to CNY Drives, I will scrub the toilet directly in front of a new hire. And when they go, yo, ain't that the dude from the commercials? Uh-huh. Why is he scrubbing the toilet? Because, dog, that's the way he gets down. He just wants to make sure we all know that he's not above us, that he respects what we do. And sometimes when there's a real, no pun intended, shit job to do, he'll get right in the trenches and he'll do it with us. Watch how quickly you gain the respect of your employees. Okay? Furthermore, Watch how quickly your employees do exactly what the fuck you tell them to do when they know full well anything you ask of them, number one, you are also willing to do yourself. Number two, you can do just as good, if not better, than them. That's how you get a loyal crew who respects you and works for you. But I digress. We're talking about minimum viable product. You want to be successful. You want to open a business. You're looking to me to guide you, and I'm happy to do so. So heed my words, guys. Do exactly what I've told you to do in this episode. And in summary, what that is, is start your business for as little money as possible. I don't mean be stupid cheap. If you're in a cleaning business and a really good, strong cleaner is $3.99 per can and the shit, nasty, bad smelling, take you twice as long to do the job, cleaner is 50 cents less than that, spend the motherfucking 50 cents. But what I'm telling you is spare the frivolity. Forget about the lights and the shininess. The fame comes later, man. Let me explain something to you real quick. And then we're going to say goodbye for today. Do you know how many millionaires I know that when I asked them, hey man, when did you make your first million? What did it feel like the moment you became a millionaire? You know what they tell me? Oh shit, I don't know, man. Because I couldn't tell you exactly when I became a millionaire. I wasn't paying attention. I was so goddamn busy trying not to fail, trying to succeed, trying not to lose. Then one day I just looked at my bank account and it was in there. Yours truly went along the same path. It took me being curious. Somebody came to me and said, hey, man, I got this guy. You can pay him some money, and he'll market your business. He'll tell you what it's worth. He'll value it. He'll bring it to the marketplace for you. You're interested in selling? Guys, if you create a business and someone comes to you with that type of question, it's always going to be yes. You're always going to think, you know what? Yeah, I would be interested to know what this project that I've created, this thing that I've built would be worth if I brought it to the marketplace. Yeah, value it. Is there a cost involved? Yeah, it's this. Okay. To me at the time, it was worth it. Okay. So I had the business valued. <laughs> and I found out very shortly thereafter that I was a millionaire several times over, several times over. And it was like, shit. Okay.
Because I thought being a millionaire meant you walked around with a million dollars cash in your pocket, okay? Now, mind you, if you got a million dollar knot in the pocket of your polos, you a fucking millionaire. Yes, sir, you is. But what I didn't know is that when you create a business or an enterprise, that when you take the sum of its parts and add their value together, it equals over a million bucks, you are also a millionaire. Example. You run a car dealership. You've got $750,000 worth of cars. You have a building. It has $200,000 in equity in it. You have monthly cash flow that is $70,000. You have $500,000 in the bank. And the sale value of your business, for those of you who have been doing the math, we're in the $1.234 million asset range of all those things we just added up. And then you find that the value of your business also plays into your net worth. And you're like, well, shit, I'm a multimillionaire, okay? Not saying that to flex, although why not? I earned it. I'm saying it to show you that I followed along that same path as those guys that I chuckled at when I listened to their YouTube videos. How did you not know you're a fucking millionaire, man? It's like the biggest thing in the world. Become a millionaire. It's like a cool party trick. You can go to the bar and be like, hey, bitch, I'm a millionaire. Buy me a drink. Don't call women bitches. My wife's going to slap me for that. What I'm explaining to you is that when you're so immersed in your project, in your business, in your life, in your livelihood, in the thing you enjoy doing, in the wonderful project that you're creating... You get lost in the work. And you know you're doing good. You know you're creating. You know you're cranking right along. And somewhere along the way, my friends, you'll become a millionaire. It's impossible that you don't. Because there's so much money in the marketplace that if you simply do any job above par, you do any service really, really well, the competition is so poor out there because of the lack of work ethic that we are now experiencing in this country. All you got to do is work hard and do it well and be educated on what you do and know the ins and outs of your company. And it's just a matter of time, my friend. And that little title, millionaire, will come and it will be attached to your name quicker than you know it. Okay. But when you get there, you realize that's not what's important. What's important is that you have freedom. And for those of you who are listening, not watching, I'm waving my stylus back and forth across the word free on the man of the free sign. Because that's why I'm here, is to give you free information that comes at no charge to allow you the ability, if you choose to apply yourself, to become free in your life. And we know by now that when you have a massive cash flow and finances that are impressive and income that is more than you ever dreamed of, that's where freedom comes from. So my friends, thank you for your time today. Thank you for watching Man of the Free. I appreciate you. So does Ruben, right, Ruben? Absolutely. And we enjoy doing this, guys. We enjoy doing this because when I get the phone calls and the emails and the comments and the text messages that I'm helping you, that you've quit your job, you've started a business, it's going well, I see the pictures of the new vehicle you purchased for your business, I see the comments from your customers. Guys, there's no bigger reward in this world for a guy like me who's come from a bad place and made his way to the light than to know I'm helping people, okay? Don't get me wrong, I like motherfucking money too, okay? But there's a certain value in helping your fellow man that sounds super cheesy and probably a little you know, holier than thou in grandstanding, but I can't help it, guys. I keep it completely transparent with you. I am a buck every day of the week, okay? And I just enjoy helping you guys because I wish when I was younger, when I was more naive, that I had an Uncle Luke to bring me this information, Okay? But everything works out the way it does for a reason. I'm here for a reason. You're there for a reason. And right now, my reason is to help you get here or better or farther, I hope, way above. So stay focused. Stay with the minimum viable product. Stay motivated. Stay hustling. But most importantly, my friends, stay free. <laughs>